0: You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. All right. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles while I invite my friend Richard to come on up. Richard, come on up and turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19 and your chair back Bibles, those big black ones. And if you don't have a Bible that's readable to you or you know somebody who needs a Bible that is readable to them, we've got them in the back near the communion elements that are in the back. Come on up, Richard. I want to introduce to you our special guest speaker this morning. Richard has spoken here before. He was once the senior pastor at uh, Santa Cruz Bible Church. now serves in Wellspring Ministries, which has a huge commitment to the development of spiritual formation in, in, in regular people, but as well as people who are in ministry to make sure they don't burn out, they can do their work sustainably, and Richard and his team at Wellspring are doing a great job. So, my friend, take it over. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning so we're in this uh series as I understand you've been in a series in this uh scene if you will it's a kind of extended scene in the life of Elijah and it has one of the one of the cooler scenes it starts with in in all the Old Testament honestly it's very dramatic right where elijah uh, he actually calls out this big showdown between he as the prophet of the one true God and then these four hundred prophets of the god Baal or Baal or however you want to pronounce that. How do you guys say it here? Baal? Both, yeah, both. We say either way. Yeah, whatever you want to do. So it's a false god anyway, but the people of Israel are kind of there on the fence on this whole thing. And then there's a showdown. Elijah over here, build an altar. Then these 400 prophets, and then the showdown happens. You guys remember this account? And and all day they're trying to get their God to do something, to light their sacrifice on fire, and and nothing. And it's actually, if if you ever wonder if sarcasm is ever okay, Elijah goes really sarcastic, right? With the, uh, he like, uh, maybe your God's in the bathroom, and it's really pretty funny. And then and then he just, then it gets even more dramatic as they're done, nothing has happened, Elijah. He says, okay, and now Elijah has, on, behalf, on God's <laughs> request, has said, there's going to be any rain for, for years because you're turned away from me. And and so there's there's extreme drought, no water. But Elijah says, I want you to just coat this sacrifice with water. Fill, I mean, fill the, the trench around it. Just pour water all over it. People, gonna, well, that's a lot of water, water, and you're wasting it. But then one simple prayer, God, show who you are. And fire dramatically flashes down from heaven. Doesn't just consume the sacrifice. It destroys the rocks. I mean, it's just dramatic. And, and so the people are, you know, wow, God has showed up. And then uh, Elijah deals with, uh, by execution, the 400 prophets of Baal. And then again, remember the drought. And he says, there's rain coming and tells King Ahab, you better run because uh, you're going to get caught in the rain and not be able to go in your chariot. And there's, you know, they haven't seen rain in years. And yet again, God shows up dramatically, and then and then Elijah ends up in this foot race with the chariot and outruns the chariot all the way down the hill. And then and then one of the meanest ladies in the whole Bible, Queen Jezebel, she is King Ahab's wife, and she is a truly uh, wicked person. And she says. Uh, it sends word to Elijah, you're dead. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make sure by this time tomorrow you're dead. And Elijah, after all that he's seen and all that he has been part of in these incredibly dramatic miracles, is terrified. He leaves his servant behind, runs into the desert, lays down under a tree and says, kill me now. Kill me, God. I'm done. I'm done. I want out. And I know you've been in this series where, and it's, I think the series is what, I can't even? Yeah, I can't even. And that Elijah was at that, I can't even, I can't even go on. I don't even want to live anymore. And you've been walking through this series of how, how do you kind of get past or recover or, or move forward when you've been that level of depleted or discouraged or depressed? or just overwhelmed. And I, I know that the world the last couple of years has been just really easy for most of us, hasn't it? I mean, just a, a frivolous, lighthearted romp through our days, right? No, no, I. what's been going on? Um, and it continues, doesn't it? I mean, is it, I know we're still, I mean, the pandemic has kind of waned, sort of, but does anybody feel like it's really over? No. And does it feel like, you know, the world is just getting better and better? It's one of the first generations, actually, that that we've, our kids and our kids' generations have actually grown up in a world in which they do not believe the world is getting better, it's getting worse, and dramatically so. It's an awful time, really, to think about growing up in that. And so I think we can relate to the I-can't-even sense, but I have a confession to make, and that is I grew up in church. That's not the confession. I grew up in church, and I would hear this story, and it's a great account. I mean, man, you want a dramatic, except for the execution part, we don't tell that so much, but in Sunday school, you want to tell great stories and fire flashing down from heaven and a guy out running a chariot. I mean, it's a great story. And then we get to this part where Elijah wants to die, and I honestly, as growing up, I i kind of like, man, what is wrong with that guy? He's kind of being a baby, and then you grow up a little bit, and you have your own experiences of where life overwhelms you to the point where I I remember a a season actually in my own life about ten years ago. We moved from Arizona; I'd lived there for thirty something years, and we moved to to Santa Cruz. And again, I would say in so many ways, an upgrade in terms of a place to live, right? I mean, I some we go back to Arizona. If it gets above 75 degrees, I'm like, it's too hot here. <laughs> and I, I feel that here, honestly. And then, you know, it's like, how did I do 112 degree days? But we, we moved here and it was such a big transition in a lot of ways. It was really overwhelming to me. And I was dealing with kind of near constant panic and anxiety attacks for about three months, and I remember getting to a point where, like, I wasn't suicidal, but I just, I thought, if this is what life's going to be from this point forward, I wouldn't mind if something just like, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, that doesn't sound so bad. I don't know if you've been in a place quite that way, maybe worse. Maybe you've been in a place where I just, I, you were thinking, I need out. Or just the series title, I can't even. Well, I think this is a common experience, and in fact, we seem to be developing more and more language for this sense of, I'm not okay. Uh, we use words like, you know, burnout, that seems like a good go-to word these days, I'm feeling burned out, like, and you like, from what? Life, everything, job, family, friendships that are, that are navigating the complexities of burnout, overwhelmed. Adam Grant, a social psychologist, uh, used, coined a term or used a term about a year ago called languishing. That's a good word. Uh, exhausted. Uh, how about fried? You know, that's a good, that's very descriptive. It's like you it got burned up and now I'm all crispy. Um, like bacon that no one wants to eat. Uh, or stressed out. Stress out could be a moment of time or an overall feeling in life or just stuck. And I think that's actually where Elijah finds himself even at the end of this story. He's in a place of being stuck and so i want if we have the text up i want to just see we get to the very end after elijah's uh by the way gone out into you know the the desert god has led him to the mountain of god to where and he has had direct encounters with god where god he pours out his complaint twice to god god meets him and and yet i think elijah is still stuck until we get here and so here's what what god says he goes uh Sorry, he, there we, uh, there we go. So God has given him direct instructions, and this is how Elijah responds to the instructions God gives him. He went out from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphet, or Shaphet, or however you want to pronounce that. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him, threw his cloak around him, it was a sign of, of being, uh, anointed, or, uh, putting his blessing on him. He left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, then I'll come with you. And go back, Elijah said, what have I done to you? Or depending on how it's translated, don't forget what I've done to you. So Elisha left left him, he went back, he took his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, gave it to the people. This is like a goodbye ceremony, really, that's happening, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And if you continue on reading in 1 Kings, Elisha becomes a pretty uh, amazing prophet as well. But I guess before we go on, and we're going to come back to what he does and, and why he does it, But before we move further into this this morning, I want to just say something that I think is important for us to hear, and that is that getting stuck, feeling overwhelmed, stressed, burned out, whatever one of those words or feelings you would use, it is actually a normal part of life's experience. It's normal and this is i think what is disorienting and confusing to many of us is is what one of the things i think somehow maybe if you've been in church a long time or maybe just our american ethos which is we can fix it we can get through it we can be strong and resilient and then if you layer on top of that that if you grew up in church somehow maybe it wasn't said exactly or maybe it was But the idea gets kind of embedded in our consciousness that if we're really following Jesus closely, if we're really doing life on God's terms, then then we should have a kind of up and to the right kind of life experience. Maybe not circumstantially, but at least internally, I'll be able to navigate all of it with just great resilience. I won't I won't go through very deep and dark periods of of discouragement. I'll, I'll I won't get depressed. I'll just I'll just live some version of whatever you would describe as a victorious Christian life where I'm just doing good most of the time. And and I would just say that is not actually that does not line up with scripture. I mean, if you read the pages of the New Testament, I'm talking the New Testament even, and some of our great heroes of the faith, read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul describing himself, and he says, we were in this period of time where he said, we despaired of life itself. We felt in our bodies, it said, the sentence of death. They were so, Philippians 1. Paul, in this, this letter that often we describe as all about joy, and yet at the beginning of it, he's talking about how low and discouraged he is at times. And I think if we can sort of normalize this a little bit instead of, because here's what happens. If you think you're supposed to be doing well, And yet, in reality, when you actually take stock of what's happening inside of you in different seasons, and you're not doing well, you're discouraged, you're low, you're frustrated, you're stressed, and you think, I'm supposed to be here, but I'm really here, then this gap leads to a whole bunch of shame. What's wrong with me? I must not be trusting God. I must not be doing it right. I must not be very, I must not be very resilient. I must not be very, I just must not have what it takes. I, I'm broken in worse ways than other people because they seem fine. They're getting through hard times. I'm not. What's wrong with me? And I think, in fact, it's, Well, it's good to be reminded we're in Lent Lent, and that we're coming up on Holy Week. And I've been sitting in this passage in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says these words. He said, friends, stay here with me. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. This is the Son of God in flesh with us. And he's saying, and in fact, he says, I can't be alone right now. You three come be with me. I need you. This is Jesus saying this. And then he says, I'm so overwhelmed that I want to die before he's even been arrested. If Jesus goes through periods of overwhelm and grief, then I think it's okay for us to both name that we are, this is part of the normal part of life's journey experience, and Jesus, this is crazy to think about it, but think about it. He asked for help and companionship, the Son of God. So what I, I see in this text, and I had never seen this before, to be honest, um, I, I see three layers in which Elijah is navigating a difficulty. Three layers. So let's look at the first layer. For the first is uh, we, we see Elijah at first, he has significant success. In fact, dramatic success. I mean, I don't know about you, my prayers have never brought fire down from heaven. And if yours have, that is awesome, and we'd like to, you to tell that story. But, um, but then, you know, or, or just outrun a chariot, or he has had, he, and, and even before that, he had, you know, he, it was difficult, but he had had very powerful outward success in his ministry, Things are going well. Then he gets really exhausted and discouraged. He lays down. He's, he is fully depleted, and he wants to give up. Uh, a friend of mine uses the term, there's tired, and then there's dangerously tired. And, you, you know, being tired, is that happens. But dangerously tired is when you're like, I... I'm looking for anything that will fill me up again. And that could often lead us in bad directions. And then he gets some rest, his recovery, his body and his mind get some needed rest. And then he kind of goes on. He's able to make a 40-day journey. So let's think of that as a parallel in our own lives. So maybe you've been in a season where you've had some success. Life is working, right? There's some success. There's fruitfulness. It's going okay. and But then you get tired, exhausted maybe even. I had, um, honestly, Friday. So this last week had a really busy week. We had two days of retreats. I was up at 5 a.m., which for many of you, it's like that late, huh? But uh, 5 a.m. and and had really long days and a lot of output. And so I, Friday I got up and I had some things I had on my to-do list. And I just realized I'm exhausted. I can't keep going today. I need to, and I, I, I you know when you're a kid and a nap was punishment? Do you remember that? <laughs> You have to lay down now. Nap is gift now, isn't it? It's one of my favorite things to do. Honestly, I never thought I'd be at this place in life. I'm like, I'm going to lay down. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> and it was. I laid down on the couch and it was a delightful couple of hours and I felt so much better. So that's a normal tired, I would say. And then rest and recovery. And then, and then, uh, you know, so you, you get some rest. So he was desperate to get some rest and recovery, and then, and then he can short term move on. I can keep going. Now, sort of is depends on how tired you are and what's going on in your life. So for Elijah, he was much more. It was much more drained, much more low than that. But sometimes one layer of like you just had a long week. You just had a stressful couple of weeks or at work or at home or whatever, and and you just need a little bit of rest. And, and here, I just want to make appeal an appeal really quick for the practice of Sabbath. Sabbath is actually part of God's design for humanity. In fact, it, Jesus actually reaffirmed this, saying, "You weren't made to keep Sabbath. Sabbath was made for you to be renewed." So, one day out of six, we are meant to just stop. Not as a rule, I mean, I grew up in a, t- a time in which Sundays was supposed to be no work and we were pretty legalistic about it, so it really felt, felt like no fun either. And so, you know, to take the day off and don't do anything, which could be fun, but I think it's meant to be what is recreating, what is renewing, what, is, what gives you life, do that one day a week. And hopefully part of that can be gathering with God's people and 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 just renewing. And uh, uh, the other part about Sabbath is uh, sometimes we think of rest as a reward at the end of working hard, but actually in the Christian uh, tradition, we work from rest, not for rest. So we we actually start the week with rest, a a period of rest, and then from that place of, of refreshment and rejuvenation, we don't have to earn rest. It's a gift. It's grace. But I would just appeal here for just as a part of a rhythm of life to actually to lean into uh, that pattern if you aren't already. But sometimes we get more depleted than just a good nap and a good rest will get us back into feeling okay again. Sometimes we're in seasons where we've been putting either there's just been a drain on us or stress, prolonged stress, or just how we're wired we it just, a little bit of rest isn't gonna get us back in the game, at least not at full strength. And I'll, I'll just share this with you. I mean, uh, we're, we're learning a lot these days about brain chemistry and how we're wired and stuff. I grew up, my mom was clinically depressed when I was a child and through much of my um, early life. My father, I learned later, also struggled with depression and anxiety. It's not a surprise that I would struggle with anxiety and depression. I I had my first panic attack, uh, at nine years old. And, and so I, I grew up with just, I mean, it, it's in my, literally in my DNA. And so one of the things we've learned, though, uh, as, and I'm not an expert on these things, but I have read and learned a lot is that the, there are chemicals in our brain that help regulate our mood and our response and our emotions, and one of those is serotonin, It's a very important one. And it, when the, it can get depleted, especially with stress or sometimes just genetics, how we're wired, or we're just under prolonged tension. And beyond a point where just, you know, having a good nap is going to bring it back up. So sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need intervention. Sometimes we need more than just, oh, I need to pull myself back together again. Now, so second layer that we see, I think, here with Elijah is, he has this 40-day journey. It's an extended time out, let's call it. God directs him. It's a 40-day journey into the wilderness. A solitude, not his punishment. And, and actually, it was meant to rejuvenate him. It's interesting, you know, we, we take Jesus, and you remember before his public ministry? And he goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and then he's tempted by the enemy? And we often, I've often heard that growing up, but see how depleted Jesus was to fast and be alone with God for 40 days, and, and, and then, you know, the enemy hits him at a point of weakness? Actually, I think it's just the opposite. His time of a solitude of 40 days, his time alone with the Father, and that level of focus, it was preparing him. I think Jesus was his absolute strongest at 40 days. So Elijah gets this 40 days, and it's actually meant to repair him, I believe. So he gets this extended time out, a lot of time to reflect and think. And then what 's fascinating is he you know he goes into this cave and there's this dramatic scene where there's this you know earthquake and and wind and all of that and fire, and it says God wasn't in those and then there's the sound of a gentle whisper it 's actually literally the sound of nothingness, which is really interesting um, and then it says you know God says both times though God says what are you doing here and in both of Elijah repeats the same words in both those, and it's a complaint it's it's. I'm the only one. They've killed all. The, they've killed all the prophets. The people have all turned away from God. I'm the only one on your side, God. Uh, and and it's what's fascinating is that one. He says the same words. He has encountered God both. He has encountered power of God and then presence of God. And in both times, he still says the same complaint to God. And what I love is that God doesn't say to him. Will you just man up? Will you just quit your whining? I mean, goodness, what else do you need to see from me? You've seen power like almost no one in history has seen from me. You've seen my power. You've, you've tasted my presence. You've had a good long rest. I've ministered to you. What is your problem? He doesn't do any of that. But I want to just come back to this, what this, this period, this, I would say a deeper layer, if you will, or of, of rest or recovery are needed. And here's what I would say. Maybe you need an extended time out. And maybe you say, I don't know how to do that, but sometimes our jobs, there's sabbaticals. Uh, maybe maybe there's a season. I remember my, my wife threw up through a season a few years ago where it was like something needs to change. And she said she felt led by God to say, I need to take a year of saying no to everything. A year. So anytime I would say, sweetie, what's for dinner? She said, no. No, that's not. <laughs> not that's not. And she's looking at me like, will you shut up? Um, I, I'm used to those looks. Uh, and I deserve them. But um No, she needed to say no for a while in order to figure out what the greater yes was going to be. But sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need an extended time out. Also, an extended time of reflection. It's so encouraging to hear about this this faith family, this, this church community. Sometimes we need to be willing to just be with people for a season and let them in on what's going on inside of us. Having wise friends maybe you need uh, uh, maybe you need to get in some counseling spiritual direction uh, my wife and i i mean we we both we've been in uh, uh, lots of counseling uh we're both in spiritual direction uh, i have i we both at different seasons have had coaches to help us with our navigate things vocationally and personally we we both kind of joke it takes a team of trained professionals to keep us functional and i i i It's kind of funny, but it's actually really, really true. Um, Because I've learned to say and be, it's like, it's okay to not be okay all the time. And to need help. To need help. And and here's the other thing is I love that, that Elijah gives us an example of naming what is broken. You can't really address things until you actually say what they are. And it's really hard for us sometimes, I think, especially in the church, because it feels unspiritual to complain. But did you know that in the Psalms, there are more Psalms of lament than any other kind of Psalm? Did you know that? And even those Psalms of Lament, and Lament Psalms are where they the Psalmist, in again, open your Bible and just flip through the Psalms and see how many of them start with things like, Where are you, God? Why is this going on so long, God? Are you listening to me, God? I pour out my complaint to you, God. I mean, there's all kinds of those in there. And then, but here's what happens sometimes if you read them. You read, it's the Psalmist, verse one, he's complaining. And then he processes this complaint out with God. And then by the end, I praise you, God, and he seems okay. But, um, but here's what I think we easily forget about that is, so then we think, Oh, that's the pattern. I have a, I sit down and have a really good prayer time with God where I pour out my complaint. And by the end of those 10 minutes or 15 or whatever it is, I should be, have reoriented myself to God. But the psalm is most likely describing, depending on the situation, a period of days, weeks, or months, not five minutes with Jesus. And I think that sets us up sometimes for this false idea that, well, if I just have a really good cry, a really good prayer time, a really good quiet time with Jesus, then at the end of it, if I'm doing it right, I should be okay. When actually it's often describing a period, a season, not just a moment. Again, Jesus himself is described as a man of sorrows, acquainted or acquainted with deepest grief in Isaiah 53. Some of us, uh, just, I've had to embrace this. I, I, I resisted this for so long the, to, to even admit for myself That I am, because of a lot of things, because of my brain chemistry, family of origin, all that kind of stuff, that I am a person that has and will struggle from time to time with depression and anxiety. I don't like saying that. I don't like living that. But frankly, it's just part of who I am. And so one of the things that happens is if that is you, if you struggle like me, and you look at other people that don't seem to struggle. At least you, you, we compare our insides to their outsides, right? But, but if you look at other people that seem to be doing better than you, and then you think, what's wrong with me? I must not be very mature, spiritual, or resilient, or good. Something's wrong with me. But instead, just recognizing we're wired differently. We're, and, and this, this give, the, my family of origin, how God made me, this is the journey he's got me on. So we work with what God has given to us and how he's made us and recognize how he has made us. So I'll just give you one gift of it, and then we'll keep moving. And that is, as a pastor... If I had not struggled with depression and or anxiety, and imagine that I had, you know, college students, which is what I initially did, and other people through the years that I would sit with, and they would talk about their struggles with anxiety or depression or whatever they were going through. And if I had never experienced those things in my life, I would have been really tempted to just quote scripture at them and tell them to get over it. You know, Philippians says, don't just, don't worry, trust God. So just do what it says. You know, don't be sad. You know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So be joyful. Like crank up the willpower and get to work. And I just think, wow. And honestly, that would have been me. I would have assumed that the power of our will could overcome all these other things. Or if I just trusted God enough. And yet, I thank God when I sit with people that he's allowed me to experience those things so that I can understand, have some sense of what someone else might be going through. But then that brings us to this last part, and that's where God now, Elijah, and I would just say this, this is kind of crazy to think about, but Elijah has experienced God's dramatic power, his very personal presence on the mountain, and he's still stuck. I mean, he has is, he is met with God literally kind of face to face, and he still doesn't know what to do. And so again, if you've experienced in your life a season, a period, or even you're in it now where you're like, I still, I don't know exactly what to do. I don't know a way forward. I've tried, I've rested. I've even, I've been to counseling. I've, I'm doing all I know to do and I still feel stuck. You're in good company Elijah is there. So God actually has to tell Elijah what to do. He says, go back the way you came. Literally gives them directions. And then anoint two different rulers. I'm gonna, I am going to do a power change in Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms. And here's who you're appointing as the next kings. And that's how that worked in that, uh, in that time in history, in that place. And then I want you to, and he says, and I'm going to let you take the mantle off of my prophet. And I'm going to hand it off to another. It's time for you to stop carrying it. And by the way, a reality check, there are still 7,000 who still worship me. You aren't alone. I know you think you're the only one, but it's a good reality check. There's not just a couple more. There's like 7,000 more. But sometimes that third layer of, of kind of change that we see, I think, in this process it, laid out here is, one is we may need some greater clarity. So if you had some extended time away and time to reflect and maybe time to process. But but sometimes, again, we're stuck. And here's the thing. It's one thing to name our our issues and our problems. And I would describe that we live in a season in which some have described the, the time in which we live as a therapeutic age. And in many ways, I think that's actually a good thing that we live in a season in history where where it's more okay to talk about our feelings and process them and, and name what's going on inside of us. That's good. That's a good thing. And yet sometimes the downside of that is we get stuck in them. We don't know what to do. I mean, because it's important to name what's going on, to name what's hurting, what's broken, what's what's not going okay inside of us, and to name it with God and trusted others and to ourselves. I think that's important. But then sometimes there's a step that needs to be taken. And so what change is actually needed? What's the next right step? And then a decision to actually do it. So God tells Elijah what to do. Elijah actually has to get off the mountain and start taking those steps. The action step. So he could have said, no, you know, I'm not ready to hand off the mantle of being the prophet. I'm going to keep doing it for a while because I like actually having that status. As hard as it is, I actually kind of, I'm, I'm attached to that role. Or, or you know, he could have said, uh, well, I'm going to anoint him, but I'm going, to, I'm going to keep doing it with him. We'll just kind of do it together. Or he could have said well i don 't know if those two guys that you 're telling me anoint are going to actually be the right people and but he does there 's that next right step. Um, I, I think it's it's really interesting, you know, that we can find ourselves like Elijah, even to encounter God's presence, that God may have met you and and comforted you. God may have met you and been and helped you name what was going on. And yet sometimes we just get stuck and we don't know what to do, or we don't know enough of the path ahead. And yet God sometimes is just saying, I'm not asking you to figure out the whole path. I'm asking you to just take the next step. So a couple of years ago, um, I was uh, had been the pastor at Santa Cruz Bible Church, as Andy mentioned. I was on staff there for eight years, and when I became the pastor in 2015, I honestly thought this is the this will be the last ministry job I think I'll have. I thought I would pastor that church for the rest of my professional life. That's kind of what I imagined. And then um, a lot of things happened in the five years I was the lead pastor, but. But I was still there, and then I, and God brought this opportunity with the organization I'm with now, Wellspring, where the, they initially approached me and said, "Would you be interested in joining this team?" And I said, "No, you know, thank you, but I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be, I think." And then uh, it's a long story, but then God just made it clear through a variety of circumstances and ways that 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 He wanted me to take that next step. And and how it went was. Uh, in February of 2020, I told our elders that I was going to be stepping down from this role and that I was going to be um, joining the staff of Wellspring. And then less than two weeks later, we're in lockdown. And, then, and I'm like, God, I think the timing, I think you didn't think this through. So let me go back and change that. But that was what God had. I literally, my goodbye is the goodbye, um, time we had is for my as they did a thing through the parking lot where people like were, remember, do you remember this? this was crazy two years ago? We didn't touch anything. So they, they were putting c- p- cards for me in nets, like uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a funny thing. And so people would be in their cards and saying goodbye, like, see ya. <laughs> you know, like, oh, this is, this somehow feels fitting, you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> bye good luck it didn't make sense and I'll, and here's the thing and then i started this new organization that summer and and um the pandemic's going on nobody's coming in the office hardly i'm, I'm literally there were days i'm sitting in the office going what am i doing I left this one job that I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was doing great, but at least I knew what that was. And I don't know what this is, but I knew this, that I had taken the step that God asked me to take. And two, two years in, I'm like, yeah, I think I have some sense of what you have me doing here. But all I knew was the next right step, or at least the step God was asking. And sometimes we need help to get to that. But, you know, maybe you're at that place. Maybe a job or vocation change is needed, not just learning to cope with what's present. I don't know. Maybe it is to stay. But sometimes it's the courage to take that next step. Sometimes it's the hard work of addressing needed relational change in our family or in our marriage, not just learning to navigate conflict better. I don't know. Sometimes we need to have a challenging conversation with a friend or family member, not just absorb it and process it internally. Sometimes we need to do that next hard thing. Sometimes we need to look at ways we're contributing to a difficult situation that, you know, it may not be our fault, but there are often ways we're navigating it that we are being asked to address. I don't know. Sometimes we need some outside perspective. Someone, uh, a a counselor, a therapist, a close friend, a pastor, uh, a small group leader, somebody just uh, saying, can I hold up a mirror to you a little bit? And maybe here's something God's inviting you into, but a next right step. I don't know what it is, but I have I have questions that I want to finish with this morning, and the worship team is going to come up. And I just want to invite you to think about these questions in your life this season. Where are you weary? Where internally? And I mean, we're all weary in some ways of the last couple of years but are there some specific ways that you find yourself weary internally maybe physically maybe emotionally spiritually where are you weary can you name it where are you stuck it's okay to be stuck elijah was stuck a man of god who had lots of alone time with god and yet he was stuck and needed help do you need to stop and rest Maybe you can't stop everything, but you need to stop certain things in order to rest and recover and regain perspective. How will you discern what is needed next? Maybe you're saying, I I don't know. Maybe I need to talk to somebody. Maybe you need to just take this before God in prayer. God, help me discern what is needed next. Not five steps down the road, just the next one. And maybe for you, you already know. Sometimes I'll just finish with this. There were many, I did lots and lots of relational counseling in terms of premarital and relationship stuff with college students for a lot of years. And often I would sit with a young man or young woman and they would describe a relationship that was just not healthy. And they would describe, well, you know, I know he cheats on me sometimes and I know he does, you know, I know he doesn't love Jesus and I know all that stuff, but, you know, but I just don't know. I just don't know, or he would go, well, she, you know, she, she she's really mean to me, and uh, and you know, but but we have some good times. But I just don't know, and sometimes the, the the truth was, but you do know, you do know, you just don't want to do the next hard thing. You do, and some of you maybe it may not be in a relationship, maybe in some other arena of life, But it's like you do know, or at least a next step, and maybe God's just asking you to encourage. And in faith, take the next step. And perhaps, perhaps for you, and maybe you've been part of this church for a while, maybe not, maybe you're checking it out. Maybe the next right step for you is to, to point toward your heart towards Jesus because his is pointed towards you and to just respond to his love for you and take that next step of faith to walk into a relationship with him. Can I pray? Jesus, we we recognize that we get stuck. And we are very human and finite and 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 in fact you don't condemn that, but you actually seem to meet us with so much kindness and grace and patience and and so Jesus this morning I, I would imagine in this room there's all kinds of situations and places in which we find ourselves either weary or discouraged or just needing a nudge or maybe needing rest or maybe needing you to meet us with just a reminder that it's okay to not be okay. Perhaps you need to meet us with a a nudge that tells us, take the next step. I know you don't know what's going to happen next. I know you don't know how it's going to turn out, but just trust me and take the next step. So Jesus, wherever you need to meet us and we need to meet you, I pray that even in these moments, we could just enter into that conversation with you, trusting that you will meet us and that you love. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.